Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Floor is rising. I am Sabertooth, and with me is Kizu. I'm a professional NFT collector, and Kizu is a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. So if you are a creator or collector of NFTs, or you want to be, jump in. The water's warm. Welcome, everyone, to uh, the latest episode of Floor is Rising. Today, we have a very interesting special guest, Chris Lay, who's one of the co-founders of the NFT studio Artifact. Most of you may know that there's a very much anticipated upcoming drop called CloneX, and it's a collaboration with the contemporary artist from Japan, Takashi Murakami. But first of all, welcome Chris Slade to Floor is Rising. I'm a blabbermouth. I love talking too much about <laughs> the NFT space. <laughs> so this is this is going to get a little interesting. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, Chris, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about how Artifact came about. I was in the creative field for the longest time since I was a little kid. I worked in like all forms of entertainment. So the music industry, music video industry, and gaming industry. I was working in the music industry designing a lot for rappers. It's a lot of like the big rappers, you Nas, Rick Ross, uh, you know, even Anderson Pock, uh, singers like Janae Aiko. And then I moved into film, but through music videos. I directed a lot of those guys in music videos, like Anderson Pock and all those guys. But I always did a lot of visual effects. So I always had some kind of like a CGI VFX background. Then moving into game skin. So this is how you're going to see the inception of Artifact with Benoit and, and Zaptio, because we all have similar backgrounds in that sense. So my side of it, of the idea of Artifact, was since I got into the video game industry, I designed a lot of skins on the Steam Workshop platform. So this is like 2015, 2014. So if you guys don't know Valve and Steam, they have three really big games, Counter-Strike, Dota 2, and then the first one that had skins was Team Fortress 2. So I already knew about skins through my little brother. So my brother was a hat trader. So back then, you know, before they were called NFTs or skins, it was called hats on Team Fortress 2. Mm. So from Team Fortress 2, they introduced the Steam Workshop. And my brother did it first. I joined him because I thought it was interesting. Since I was a gamer, I was a PC gamer at heart. So I started skinning Dota 2 skins with my brother. And my skins started getting accepted. And, and I moved on to the Counter-Strike scene where I did a bunch of CSGO skins that got accepted in CSGO. So it's like the very first, like to me, I tell people, if you want to know about NFTs, go look at what, what skins are like in Counter-Strike and Dota 2. It's almost the same exact concept, right? The only difference is it's centralized, not decentralized. <laughs> so I started putting my skin designs on sneakers. So when I started doing that on sneakers, they went super viral on Instagram. Everybody was talking about it on Reddit and the gaming community because they're like, wow, this is like crazy. Like I never knew that you can merge video game culture and geek culture with sneakers because sneaker culture is like hypebeast culture. It's the cool kids. It's the, the, it's the trendsetters, right? And me, myself, you know, like, I'm Asian American and a lot of Asian Americans always go through a hypebeast phase in their life and hip hop phase. Like I, I used to want to be a break dancer. Like I love hip hop, hip hop culture, right? So I, I, I decided to fuse both cultures together and do these shoes. I got introduced to Benoit through one of my good friends, Brock Coffer, who is also another CSGO skin designer who designed one of the biggest CSGO skins called the Hyperbeast. And we did a project together while Benoit was the brand manager at Fnatic. If you don't know, Fnatic's like one of the biggest esports teams in the world. They're number one in Europe. So we did like a CSGO skin with them. Benoit noticed how viral my sneakers are going. And so he asked me to design like a Fortnite sneaker inspired skin 
mm-hmm. for fanatic. When he posted it, it went viral. His inbox, my inbox was getting hit up by people saying, oh, how do we buy this? How uh, they, 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 We'll drop money on it right now. So we, we saw the demand, right? At the same time, Fanatic's League of Legends team got invited to the World's 2008 Championship. So this is uh, when they were Fanatic versus, it was a Chinese team. I can't remember what the name of the team was, but uh, it was at the World Cup Stadium in South Korea. Huge event. And Benoit was like, okay, we need you, Chris, to design a sneaker for the team. They're going to wear it. And the thing is, I'm not, I've never made any of my sneakers in reality, right? All my sneakers are always digital. So Benoit discovered a kid named Zaptio. Our other co-founder. So Zaptio in London, he was this entrepreneur who, uh, you know, did a bunch of uh, streetwear, no bots that, you know, purchased Supreme. Uh, he, he did a bunch of different things. And he also owned Frey Customs where they customized real sneakers. So Benoit hit him up and he's like, hey, can we take Chris's designs and put them on, put them on shoes? He did that. So it was televised. People saw our shoes uh, worn on stage uh, with, with the Fanatic League of Legends team, and we kept on gaining traction, a bunch of traction. And this is when we came together and we're like, shit, let's do something with this, right? Like gaming sneakers is going to be a thing. Like gaming culture is going to be huge. Like, uh, like esports is going to be bigger than sports. And, you know, Benoit came from luxury fashion before he was a consultant at lvmh and, and he was always a gamer so and then he turned into the brand manager at fanatic he's the reason why he's he, why fanatic is cool like he made fanatic a lifestyle brand what it is today so we were all synergized like Zaptio with the streetwear background i had a streetwear background too because i was during my hip-hop days i created a streetwear brand here in salt lake city utah and it was a perfect synergy of all of us together to form artifact so we knew at the time, uh, this is like early 2019, that we wanted to do some sort of a digital sneaker brand where we let people collect the sneakers digitally, like skins, right? But you were able to redeem them or forge them for physicals, thus solving sustainability. And then at the time too, like we already had experience in NFTs because my collaboration with Benoit, one of the collaborations we did was he dropped a bunch of NFTs with Wax. So this is when Wax was fairly new. Uh, if you guys know, you know, Wax is another uh, a chain and then they sell NFTs themselves. They collaborated with me in the past to releasing uh, my skins as NFTs on their platform. It was funny is we, need, we never even called them NFTs. This was when CryptoPunks was new. I mean, CryptoKitties was the, you know, was the talk of the town. And then, uh, when we did the NFT drop, you know, we strayed away from NFTs right after that because since we wanted to make a gaming sneaker brand, a lot of the big video game studios, there was a stigma with them against cryptocurrency because of the ICO boom. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. So we're like, ah, you know, we we have to stray away from that from for now. But we we were trying to figure out how to just make a digital sneaker marketplace. So after that, uh, we got started going viral. We created our own Instagram account and blew it up with a bunch of viral content because our one of our uh what makes artifact artifact is we're known for viral like content that merges realities together mm-hmm. so it'll be me with my visual effects background where i take like digital sneakers that i 3d create and i superimpose them on real backgrounds or in real hands and people think it's real right and it, it tricks the mind because it looks real but the sneaker's doing something that's physically impossible and it goes viral. So with that, we went and raised money. So we did our first fundraise. Uh, where, so we started fundraising mid-2019, but then we got funded the end of 2019 with Galaxy Digital, Mike Novogratz's uh, VC 
uh, company. So they're like uh, one of the, like the you know blockchain uh, VC firms. And then we got followed up with GFR Fund, which is an uh, AR, VR, XR investment company who invested in like VR Chad and a bunch of those other companies. So that's how Artifact initially got funded pre-COVID. And then we launched Artifact 2020 uh, officially, you know, as a proper company with, you know, documents. So that's why we technically tell people it is 2020, but we, we created the idea before that. Then, you know, from there, we started working on the company through the pandemic until we initially, we, we then went back to our NFT ways again, mid uh, 2020 with our first NFT drop, the cyber sneaker on Superman. Mm-hmm. And the rest was history. What struck me a lot, Chris, was actually that, you know, that, that to me, um, as you were describing that, Echoes in, in a way Kami's own background. As you know, he started in the contemporary art scene, but you know, starting around 2002, I believe, early 2000s, obviously, he started working with LVMH. And of course, that, that echoes Benoit's backgrounds. I'm not sure if they knew each other then, but obviously, you know, he, he moved into fields that were adjacent to contemporary art, like Oguchu Fashion. Obviously, later on, there were the uh, streetwear collabs with Supreme, with uh, Virgil, obviously, Off White. And then he also did the rapper's chains with Ben Baller. He did the grand piano for Drake. He did, you know, lines for Drake's brand, Ovo. He did uh, Al Marvel Kanye. So there's a lot of, you know, I think um, common ground there, it seems. Was was that kind of multidisciplinary background and, and diversity of experiences? Was that something that really um, called out to you in terms of how you and Murakami came to work together on this drop? We only work with people we're fans of. Right. So Benoit, Zaptio and I, we are insane fans of Murakami because like I mentioned earlier, my background in hip hop, I've seen Murakami. So my, my first introduction to Murakami was the Kanye West graduation cover. That was when I was in high school, mm-hmm. 2007, I believe. And the bear. So that was my first introduction to Murakami. And then I became a fan right after that. Like I remember buying the, the graduation CD and I got the poster inside of the, the, the album art. I was like, man, this art is so sick. At the time, I had no idea that he was already working with like, or he worked with Mark Jacobs with Louis Vuitton. Like I had no background knowledge of that until later, until I started studying him. Benoit was probably the biggest Murakami fan out of all this. He knows his background very well. Same with the Zaptio. But his history and our histories all kind of align. Like when you, when you think about it, while Murakami was working with Kanye, I was working in the music in, industry too. And I was talking to Kanye's, we, we talked a few times at Kanye's partner, John Monopoly. And John Monopoly is the guy that brought Virgil a blow up. But the thing is like uh, Virgil was doing t-shirts and all that at the time. When I was talking to John Monopoly, I was doing MySpace layouts. So I was known as like the MySpace layout guy because uh, I figured out how to make musician band layouts on MySpace for rappers. So it was, it was almost like, I, I talked to my partners about this. It's like, it was almost meant to happen down the road because we were all in somehow connected. Right. And we, we ended up being all together. It's, it's kind of cool. Like when, when you think about it, but we've dreamed of working with Murakami for the longest time. Like uh, we, we always joked about, Oh man, it'd be cool. If Murakami did a logo for us. Like that would be the dream. And then he ended up doing the logo for us, uh, which is awesome. Like the art mashup logo. But yeah, we're, we're insane fans of Murakami. We, we love and respect his work. And he's like the nicest dude ever. 
how did the collaboration come about? Like who reached out to who? Because, you know, when, when Murakami, I think earlier this year, I believe he sort of semi-launched the, the Murakami Flower NFT series on OpenSea. And then everyone was like, oh no, don't do this. And then he kind of pulled it back. And then can you just talk through how, how that collaboration with, with Murakami uh, happened? And- we always try to reach out to Murakami through the DMs. But when we started gaining more traction, we did an interview on Clubhouse with, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of this company, but it was, it was a Japanese Clubhouse about NFTs. And there were like a bunch of uh, established Japanese uh, news outlets on there. And one of them did a write-up about us. I, I think it was uh, Forbes Japan. That's what it was, Forbes Japan. And then I believe Murakami, and Murakami uh, he liked some of our stuff before, even pre-NFTs. Because uh, I noticed, like, you know, remember I mentioned we had viral videos that went out. Like we, and he would like it on complex Instagram account. Mm-hmm. But when we did the sneaker sale, I believe that's when he started to get a little note. Uh, he, he, we, we got some notice from him, but it was that Forbes Japan article, I believe that he bumped into and he really understood our company. He sent us a DM and it was like, I believe in emojis or something. And we, and <laughs> it was Benoit that was talking to him and sent him emojis back. The rest was history. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I think is interesting is that I'm not sure, maybe, maybe Benoit is more familiar with this, but uh, Murakami's own trajectory has been kind of a revenge of the nerd slash otaku. <laughs> so you mentioned like, you know, obviously there's, there's been a kind of like convergence between the supreme crowd kind of high piece culture, as well as the, the nerdier, I guess, you know, reaches of pop culture. And I think Murakami has always represented that as well. Like he's obviously has a wide audience, but in, I think, in, you know, prior to 2000, I mean, obviously before the, the LV, Mark Jacobs projects, before the Kanye graduation album, he had a kind of more staid image. And, and I say this as someone, I guess, full disclosure here. So I, my, my background is as an art writer and, and critic. And um, I lived in Tokyo for many years. I've interviewed Murakami a number of occasions. I've also served as his personal translator, actually. So I, I would say I have a pretty good insight into, into how he's evolved. And, and obviously, apart from the multidisciplinary like uh, aspects, I think the, the one thing that struck me the most, and this is obviously like the most apparent thing, right? Like he started to dress very differently. And of course, part of this was like, he started collaborating with fashion brands. And so he decided to up his game. Like it's, it's very, if you look at this Instagram and it goes back a long way, he used to dress in this kind of like plaid shirts and like overalls. <laughs> Obviously he's in the studio a lot and he's, uh, he's always working, he sleeps there. But then, you know, like when, when he turns up at Complex on and stuff like that, he does like play up the kind of hype beast factor. And, and you know, his Instagram is full of selfies with celebrities, with all these rappers that have become huge fans. But I think like he's also like an artist that has really kind of like swallow, like he, he, he swallows all these styles. He's like a, a very omnivorous uh, cultural consumer. He he connects with otaku as well as the hype beast crowd. And and to me, that's like something that's very um, rare actually in the Japanese art scene. I find like it tends to be one or the other. So I was, yeah, I, I was wondering if, you know, that that was also something that you guys noticed or is it that you only kind of like were paying attention to his more recent output? Benoit would know more about this. I do know about that whole otaku stuff when he did the first works. Um, and the reason why is because we're also, uh, if you notice, um, we have some of that implemented into Clonex. So, you know, the anime mm-hmm. sculpture he did like in right. the 90s, it was in the 90s, right? Like, uh, 
the, the big breasted lady. And you know what I mean? Guy, like the jacket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we implemented Clone X, by the way. So it's kind of right, cool right. that he let us do that, which is mm-hmm. super awesome. So mm-hmm. that can live on forever <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> uh, NFTs. But um, I mean, I always thought he was the wild, like, crazy dress dude like and that's why i like him you know what i mean like uh i pay more attention to his works as in like the aesthetics of it Mm because i'm I'm like an artist myself right like uh so that's that's more of what i pay attention to i never dove into too deep into what you were talking about right yeah i think that's a question for benoit yeah i guess maybe your audience and our audience i think maybe they're familiar with the hype beastie murakami of of the more recent uh times but uh-huh. I think there, there's there's elements I think there that and, and this comes through in the Clone X. Um, obviously, like it hasn't dropped yet, but uh, the samples that we can see on your website and, and stuff like that. As you mentioned, like you can see the otaku culture, especially the ones that you know obviously come from the sculpture from earlier on, like almost twenty years back. But I want to talk a little bit about like where that comes from and how Murakami himself sees his practice and his work in relation to to that culture so basically like otaku is like as as probably everyone knows like it refers to a kind of like geek culture right and originally it had more to do with the less fashionable the less trendy less hype beastie reaches of the culture so we have all this like you know in, in tokyo you have all these malls that sell like figurines from anime from manga all of that but it's definitely not the crowd is not the the best dressed. Like they're they're not into sneakers and not so much into, you know that that. So, sorry, can I interrupt you? Like this yeah. is actually we were bringing up a good point. Mm-hmm. So this is why I feel like again we're synergized. Mm-hmm. That's how it was when I explained how me Benoit we all, we all came from gaming geek culture. Right. And we're anime fans too, right? So like, mm-hmm. I, I grew up watching Evangelion, Gundam Wing. Like, I love uh, mm-hmm. Gundam Wing Kit Bash. Like that, I understand that culture so well, but it's like. I love this call because you just made us made me realize how similar we are to Murakami. So Benoit <laughs> and I, we are nerdy gamers who want to make gaming cool by fusing it with hypebeast. Mm-hmm. So like when you brought that up with Merc, like where where it's heading into, that's kind of mind blowing to me. Like like so oh, sorry, yeah, you can continue. See, I told you I was a blabbermouth, man. Sorry if I interrupt here. <laughs> no, no, it's it's precisely I mean it's 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 yeah. really that you brought all that up because because I I was not a, I mean I, I knew that you guys had a very uh very varied background but I didn't know that Benoit came from LVMH for example like that I think that's very relevant and particularly in in the context of what Murakami has, has done in a sense both Murakami and Artifacts seem to have found a a good way to reconcile those things or even like basically both things are amplified because because they're combined and and we're seeing obviously with the way that you know the metaverse is promising to turn out or you know web 3.0 and things like that you know people want to flex online they want to flex in a way that you know have a cool fit like in not in real life but in their in their virtual life and and that's something that I think is is quite different because like we think about it, things like the hype beast culture is all about like going out and having a, a like a physical outfit and having all these things that you can show off in real life. But that we're kind of moving away from that, or or rather, I think we're moving to a point where people will want both. They want to look fly in real life, and they want to look equally fly when when they log on to to Fortnite or they get on they get on a game, right? So I, I think it's interesting that now there's like a 
almost like a double pressure. Like you have to be cool in a nerdy way, maybe like when you play your games, but people also want the kids want the cool kids want them to look cool, you know, both online and off. And I think that's maybe one of the things that, I mean, in his way, Murakami has shown, like he, he started as a kind of like nerdy artist, but has come to, you know, to, to front row at Paris Fashion Week, for example. So I think that's a really interesting cultural shift that maybe, you know, both you guys at Artifact and, and Murakami in his way and his, and his, you know, his, his kind of network of collaborators has shown that, you know, these two things aren't um, as estranged from each other as we thought. And moving forward, it seems like it's going to be more and more like uh, kind of convergent with each other. It's so crazy how it works. So like my background when I was a kid, I was a nerdy gaming Asian dude, but I always wanted to be cool with hip hop culture. That's how I got into the hip hop scene. And I feel like there's a lot of Asian American kids like me too that were, went that same path. But in, in the inside, we were this, we love anime, we play a lot of games. <laughs> like, and I've always, the thing is like back then you get bashed on for being a PC gamer, right? It was very looked down upon. Like the mainstream gaming was more console. Like it was more cooler to play PlayStation. PC gamers are looked up as like the nerdy side of gaming culture. But I feel like somehow I knew one day it would be widely adopted because with the, you know, with the growing trends of technology and how technology is now part of our everyday life, like it only made sense that one day would have something like the metaverse, right? And it's inevitable, but esports and gaming is going to beat physical sports. That's just how it is. The only way I see sports growing big again is if we have like cyborgs, like, like, a, <laughs> like cybernetics, right. Enhanced legs and robotic arms and all that. But that's why do you think the NBA and the NFL now tries to add augmented reality into their, their shows? Like uh, the, the, the North Carolina Panthers, they had like a robotic Panther bouncing around in their stadium. Guess who they, they got that from? They copied it from League of Legends. League of Legends had a dragon flying around. Mm-hmm. All kids, new generation Z and Gen Alpha, they want like, wh- okay, why, why do you want to watch physical sports when you can see robots duke it out and like b- shoot missiles at each other? like digitally and it looks cooler do do, do you see what i mean like it it was it was inevitable that we were gonna head this direction anyways but you know and and i'm glad like i i I get to see all this happen in front of my eyes watching gamers become cool when twitch streaming started to become big Mm -hmm. and then you had phase clan right and these these gamers were looked at as like celebrities so that's why with murakami's background how he came into like fashion and hip-hop culture through all these rappers and then uh us as artifact it's like almost synergy and it's just crazy man like how it all worked out so this that's why like with this energy being transmitted into clonex this what this project is going to be like awesome like people would i hope people would feel the energy we bring into the, the project because it really is a combination of all our past and future put together into one like that's what we're so passionate about. That's why we're taking our sweet time with it too. We just want to make sure it's perfect, right? Because it will live on forever. <laughs> Chris, let's let's go. Let's dive a bit deeper into into Clonex and um, and 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 how the the idea came about and and, and how you guys think about it. Because when you guys first dropped your your first NFTs. You know, I remember the 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 ferocious uh, shoes, the the punk shoes, and you know back probably you know before sort of the the border yacht club the, the the pfp thing wasn't as big as as it is now right so um and you know since sort of the border yacht club dropped like the whole nft 
scene is basically PFPs. And how did you guys sort of um, decide to do this PFP project? And, and how did you, I guess, come to, you know, decide how you wanted to to do it because uh, you know uh, in the nft space you know every single day there's there's dozens of pfp projects dropping how did you uh, look at what what you guys are building versus you know what else is out there good good question it's funny no one's ever asked us why we came up with clonex in a bunch of the interviews so us props to you so this is exciting for me to answer because i always like hope someone asked this first off it's you got to again this is a little bit of background digging through benoit and i Right. So when we first started Artifact, before uh, Benoit was at Fnatic, and then right when uh, I was creating Artifact with Benoit, we were doing something that I'm sure you've heard of, virtual influencers. Not a lot of people know this because I, I try to keep my identity hidden, but it's like it's out there in the open now what I uh, created with my brother and what Benoit has created. So Benoit ran a virtual influencer named Datico, where he was trying to sell uh, virtual makeup as filters. So way before Artifact. And we had a passion for virtual influencers. On my end, I created, uh, co-created a virtual influencer. He's the biggest TikTok virtual influencer. Uh, if, you got, if you don't know, it's like Lil Michaela, right? And you have VTubers in Japan. So we created one called FN Mecca, who has like 10 million followers now on TikTok. He's like the biggest male virtual influencer in the world. Um, he's like a virtual rapper, like SoundCloud rapper. And it was like our Banksy project where I kept my identity hidden, but my, you know, it was out in the open. Now, if you don't know, it's FMECA is the one we did the collab with Artifact uh, FMECA. We did like a couple collabs with them. And we recently did the one with uh, TikTok where we, where we did a shoe with FMECA. But we always knew that virtual influencers were the platform, the vessel to wear metaverse objects. We always wanted to do something with virtual influencers. We just didn't know what. With our background of virtual influencers, the PFP thing only made sense. We, we started noticing how people were using their PFPs as their profile pick, but we knew where this was heading because we can already see the, the, the behavioral patterns in uh, Japan with people using uh, you know VTubers and, and stuff. So we're like, these PFPs are eventually just going to be metaverse avatars. Right. So we didn't look at it as a, a PFP JPEG. We looked at it as a, a snapshot of an avatar that's going to be used in the metaverse. So we already had plans to create virtual influencers, but we never initially had plans to create it as 20,000 generative ones. Just we see we saw what Bored Apes was doing in CryptoPunks, and it just made sense to let people adopt avatars that you can use in the metaverse through buying it as a PFP. That's why we went the 3D route. With 3D, we can kill two birds with one stone. Instead of doing 2D and making 3D later, we're like, why just, why not? Let's make it all. Let's, let's start it out as an avatar first and PFP after. So when we started this project, we created a full body avatar first before even deciding, uh, let's let's start working on the PFP image alone. So we made sure the avatar worked with bones, um, make sure you could get ported into different metaverses. And that's when we teamed up and uh, you saw this announcement, our partnership with Gaz3D Caffey, right? And they have a platform where you can already port things into Roblox and stuff like that. So really it was just... Um, our backgrounds with the love for virtual influencers and mixed with, uh, you know, seeing what Bored Apes and CryptoPunks did with PFPs. And we just thought, you know, it made total sense for us as Artifact to come in because we need vessels to wear our stuff in the metaverse. And it being anime, um, we're, you know, we're again, we're just massive fans of anime. And I feel like a lot of people can't handle 3D anime like properly as artists. It, it always looks bad. 
You know what I mean? Like I've even seen Studio Ghibli's uh, new uh, anime movie and it just didn't look right. Somehow anime kind of looks scarier in 3D when they they solved that by adding um, cell shading, right? So you can fake the 2D anime style. But uh, we were like, you know what? We're up for the challenge. Just make something that's fully 3D anime that works in the metaverse that looks good. So that's the aesthetic side of it. You you talk about the... uh the aesthetics of anime and, you know, the, the idea that you have this 3D version of it. Is that something that, in terms of how that was incorporated in Clonex, did you work closely with Murakami on that? Or or did that kind of process, I guess, what are the technical specs uh, of how the avatars are rendered? Was that something that Murakami himself had a lot of creative input on? Or is it kind of like his characters and then kind of like fleshed out, in a sense, uh, um, with, with your techniques? The characters came before he came into the picture. We were studying a lot of anime characters and, and uh, you know, finding out the best aesthetics to adopt and evolve and create in our own look. Uh, he came in and started showing us how traits should look, like in work, in a sense. Like what would, would go work well with his style, with his knowledge in anime. And it's more of like uh, the curation of traits and how they, they go together. I'm not sure if, like, to me, the uh, the stuff I've seen of Clonex so far and what I've seen of, what I know of Murakami's practice, there, there seems to be obviously, like, you know, it's recognizably him, like a lot of the characters, and then it's rendered in a way that's maybe recognizably artifact. Where basically, like, there's quite a difference in Murakami's fan base in Japan and then outside of Japan. And, and this is something that actually he's talked about a lot. As you know, like on on Instagram, he does post these not stories, like as in like he posts like he tells stories, right? I, I'm not talking about IG stories about his practice, about things that he thinks about, about you know critical reception of his work. And one of the things he often points out is that he's much more popular in, in outside of Japan than within Japan, and especially le- he's 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 much less popular among the otaku demographic that he borrows so much from. I'm not sure if this is something that maybe, maybe again, Benoit will be more familiar with that. I've actually heard about this. I watched yeah. an interview where he said like, oh, a lot of people in Japan don't like me. Every yeah. chance he gets in interviews, he, he mentions it. Like if he has a show in Hong Kong and stuff, he'll say like, oh, Japanese don't like my work or a lot of my work is actually collected by foreign collectors. And I think this is interesting, especially since like, this is one of the, you know, obviously is going to be one of his most high profile projects. And then it draws so much from Japanese culture. And and yet we can probably expect that a lot of the, the interest and in the collectors will come from outside Japan. And I'm wondering if you had ever thought about that in terms of how the projects market, because obviously like there's a strong Japanese element and yet it seems like it would appeal to a non-Japanese audience. Is, is that something that you guys discussed at all? Or in terms of like, you know, catering, I guess, or, or tailoring uh, the project to a so-called like global audience as opposed to a Japanese audience? Was that something that came up in, in any of the discussions at all? Uh, no. We, again, when you hang with the three of us, we're just insane nerdy fans we love anime we're just like we want to do an anime project <laughs> like yeah that's just how it is the only thing is we discuss is how to make the aesthetics of it pleasing mm-hmm. but we didn't we didn't focus on targeting specific people we just put our love into it because we love anime so much and we want the world to share the same color we have for anime with this project that's right, right. as simple um, as that <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna like offer a little bit of a. I'm gonna play like art critic for a while. Um, yeah. 
So one of the things that even Murakami says himself, like he says that he's an otaku that couldn't really become one. And I think by that, he, he meant that, you know, he obviously borrows a lot of things from otaku culture. And, but it is more on a surface, like surface level in terms of like the visuals, right? But in terms of how the mechanics of uh, the characters work, some critics have actually pointed out that Murakami, obviously, like he's a contemporary artist, right? First and foremost, he's not—he's not an anime artist. He's not a—he's although he's tried to make anime, as as we know, with that that film Jellyfish Eyes that came out a couple of years ago. But he's basically a visual artist that borrows elements from otaku culture, so it's quite different, I guess. But that difference is often glossed over and people refer to him as like an otaku artist. So one of the things that this very famous Japanese critic Hiroki Azuma has pointed out is that Murakami doesn't really grasp uh, the core of otaku culture. And one one of those things at the core of that is the ability to grasp moe elements. I'm not sure if that's a familiar term. Maybe for the uh for the anime otaku fans out there they would know what that means but basically it's like if you have like you know evangelion and stuff like that you have an anime uh, franchise you have characters that have the blue hair that have certain uh features you know across across all the works you can see recurring facial features or attributes like the the cat ears you know the maid costumes all of the cliches right and and these elements are actually part of a database so azuma the critic would say that actually whenever creators create a anime or manga series they will actually draw from uh, a database of attributes and then mix and match and the content is actually peripheral right so you have the story obviously like you have very interesting plots in all of the famous uh, anime series but they're actually chosen in a way to manipulate the emotions of the otaku who respond in a certain way to um, the elements, the, the characters, right? And, and this is actually something that is very like structural. So you have, you think it's like, oh, a different story each time, but actually they're playing to certain patterns. And, and that's, that's what Asuma calls like the, the kind of like simulacra that, you know, basically it's like a kind of, imitation of the real thing so you see something that is quite similar to anime or or um or manga but actually it's something it's something else right so yeah when when i see something like clonex it's it strikes me as another obviously the context is different we're we're seeing avatars that are being that are going to be deployed in the metaverse but it seems like in the context of in as far as murakami is participating it seems to me like this could be another way in which he's again borrowing from that, but it's not entirely a faithful, it's not entirely faithful to what otaku culture really represents. And I think a lot of that obviously is, you know, that it, it might be lost in translation. It might be that the the fans of Murakami in his latter day incarnation, and this is the time when, you know, obviously he did all the collaborations uh, with music, with fashion. It's something that, you know, obviously has been fused into something. It's an entirely different animal, but it's it can't really be said to be uh, otaku culture. So, yeah, I just put it out there because I think that maybe this is something that the real otaku creators in Japan, like they they see that and they've actually like taken him to task they trolled him for it you know on instagram or if you go online you go to these japanese forums right bulletin boards 
And they talk a lot of shit about Murakami. And they say that he's an otaku wannabe, you know, he's a pretender. He's milking it for, for all this money, but actually it's something that is very divorced from the true spirit of the otaku. So, okay, so very good question. So we, that's something we went deep into. So the initial start of Clonex, again, thanks to our background of being insane fans of anime, right? We we even had uh, advisors. Like the thing is, we always like to work with you know the young generation. So young generation now is they're all heavy into anime. They understand otaku culture very well. So one of the kids we brought on to help advise to to make sure we have every element. So the eyes, particularly, we is the thing we study the most, hmm. right? For, for example. I argue with friends from America who say Avatar The Last Airbender is anime. And I tell them, no, it's not. It's inspired by anime, but it's not anime, anime however you want to see. I even say it. Right, American. Right, right. <laughs> so we went through a list of elements that otaku culture we respect. We have cat ears. Like we looked at everything down to eye shapes. Mm. mouth structure mm-hmm. cheek blushes everything we looked at all of it different hairstyles the most common right. kind of hair because we also made our project very unisex as well mm. so it's like what male hairstyle could work as a female hairstyle as mm-hmm. well like we went down to the last i i and I, i'll admit we didn't go so deep where like oh we get approved by you know whoever governs otaku right but the thing is we did go deep in the sense of of making sure a lot of the elements that people respect that you need from anime culture is in our project. Uh, and, and then we, we went everything like, uh, you're right. Like we looked at, uh, you know, uh, nurse clothing, sensei, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the maids. We looked at yeah, everything. Yeah. We all have different backgrounds in anime. I'm cyberpunk. So any, that's why a lot of the, the clone X stuff you look at has a lot of like hard surface elements as in robot pieces. Right, right. Because uh, I grew up loving Oh, mecha, 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 right? Yeah. Mecha, mecha, yeah. 100%. So I, I stay true to a lot of mecha stuff. That's my culture in anime is anything that has to do with robots or sitting in a mech. That's mm-hmm. me, 100%. I understand that culture so well, right? Like my whole 3D CGI career was all built on that, like studying how to make robots mm-hmm. the whole damn time. Like, and uh, even, uh, even you know, a little off subject, but a lot of people don't know this, but even Transformers, right? Even though it's mm-hmm. looked at as an American IP, it's all inspired by uh, Japanese mecha. And it actually came from the Japanese version of Spider-Man. If not, right. a lot of people know that. So right. the, the Japanese version of Spider-Man is what spawned Power Rangers. It's what spawned, it's like a documentary about it too. Um, I, 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 I've seen it a minute ago, but uh, it, I'm very, merry. like I, I know that mecha culture very well. Benoit understands a lot of the traditional and, you know, anime culture, he's old, he's a bit older than us, but all of us, we came from different age groups, right? So Benoit is older than us. I'm in mid tier and then Zaptio is the youngest. So Zaptio is the one I grew up on, my like Yu-Gi-Oh and all that, right? I'm Evangelion leading all the way to like Pokemon. So that was like what I grew up in the nineties and I studied it. I, I, I went deep. I even watched like out of, out of Mecca stuff. I watched like Vampire Hunter D. Like I even go on North, <laughs> a, a little crazier and like different fields, watch initial D da, 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 da. like, cause I was a car head. Like I love exotics. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Import like Japanese import tuners. Right. But yeah, all of that knowledge combined knowledge, we knew that we had to pay respect to specific elements like even benoit when when uh, me and my brother because uh, my brother worked on the the 3d model for the the, the character benoit was like no that eye is not proper yet 
like we, the eyes is like the main thing we just had to pay attention to, but we also wanted to evolve it in a way where it's a little bit of the artifact taste as well. And that's what I think too, is things will get evolved because you're going to have people like in hip hop culture, right? You know, all the old school hip hop heads, like Nas, they're going to think SoundCloud rap isn't hip hop. You mm. get that argument all the time. Oh, it's not hip hop. No, things evolve, right? A taco culture is going to evolve so much that you can't really say what's not or what is anymore. Because there's going to be a whole group of people that's going to say, this is it. It's a new generation, right? And in my mind, I always think things have to evolve no matter what. Even though we, we try to pay homage and respect, we still feel it's okay to evolve it because it's just what we do. in Humans and nature and the universe, evolution is everything. That's how we grow. It sounds to me like from, from that painstaking, rigorous process that the you know the way that you dove deep and you got the consultant to to make sure that you were you were faithful to all of that all features it actually sounds to me now that it is a very otaku driven project in the sense that you you had this really like pain uh you know you went you went through all the uh archives the historical archives of all these you know possible combinations all the features all the tributes and then that's precisely what you know azuma was saying when he when he talked about the database so his one of his most well-known books is uh, Otaku Japan's Database Animals, right? And basically, he he's saying that the otaku are somehow post-human. They're like not in, in the sense that they're they're animalistic. They they consume all these products of pop culture in a way that pays a lot of attention to like how faithful certain things are to the how they should be in Mecca or how they should be in like, you know, shoujo manga or whatever. Like there, there are genres that, that need to be respected. You can't really deviate from them. You need to be aware of the kind of meta structure that that all these characters are spun out of, right? And so it sounds like ironically, like for, for this Clonex Metaverse project, like you guys have gone back to that spirit because Murakami in his visual work, like his sculptures and his paintings, he borrows quite superficially from that kind of database, but he doesn't replicate the database. But with Clonex, obviously you, you guys have like a 20K project, as I understand. You have 10K for the pre-sale and 10K for the public sale. Is that right? Like there's a total 20,000 avatars, yeah. So like that that's a database, right? That's a 20,000 avatar database where you combined, you know, different permutations, maybe all, all possible permutations of all these Moe elements, right? All the elements that uh, resonate, that have, you know, they interconnect, they, they cross-reference like across the entire history of anime, entire history of, of manga. And all these are like signs, right? Like they're like, like, like ciphers, right? So all these things are, they're, they're basically memes that have been recombined that are being minted as a PFP, as an as a avatar, right? as a persona for people to use in the metaverse. So I'm, I'm actually very curious to see what the Japanese uptake of the project is, like the response, because it seems to me like even though Murakami is associated with, with it and the otaku that, you know, used to shit on him might actually turn around, look at this closely and say, hey, actually this is, this is more otaku than Murakami's previous work. Like working with Artifact, working with this format, of the the avatar is actually like going back to the roots of Japanese meme culture, and then I think it's it, it could go either way. It's it's really hard to say how that will play out, and I think obviously like taken by themselves, like when you mint one and maybe use it as your profile pic, right? 
And I think it might be different when it starts getting deployed in the metaverse as, you know. So so I guess it's also a use case thing and context, because obviously when, when Murakami makes the sculpture of the, of the girl with the, with the huge breasts and stuff, that's like really just like plucking it out of context, because there are no like fine art sculptures in anime manga. It's all two dimensional. It's all what you call super flat, right? It's illustration. It's, it's basically just like in a frame of a comic. And so maybe that changes it a little bit because like this, obviously like the gaming context as well is very otaku in the sense that it's, it's nerdier and, and geekier. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it could be an interesting return for Murakami in the sense that, you know, he actually might be able to win like a renewed appreciation or respect from the otaku people that used to think that his work was, you know, somehow like a, a betrayal or, or something like that. Yeah, really, really good point you made. And the thing is, uh, what was cool is even before we announced Murakami, we saw a lot of Japanese Twitter accounts and websites talking about our project in a positive way. So it made us super, super happy uh, to see that too. It was a lot of NFT type websites. And oh, and there was a really popular uh, Japanese magazine that talked about us in the past too. I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was pre-Clonex. I'll have to pull it up and send it, uh, send it to you after this. Okay. But it was really cool. We get we get super hyped when we see anything Japanese talking about us because again we're we're insane fans of Japan and and uh, you know taku anime culture. So every time we see it, we're like, oh yeah, it's cool. They 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 approve of us. <laughs> so it's really 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 cool to see. Man, I'm glad I got to share that with you because we didn't we never told anybody kind of like the the the, the pain we went through to, to make sure we got this accurate. Mm-hmm. So I hope people really get to see it. And obviously we can't pull all the aesthetics and traits, right? It's a lot. Like if we we made a total of like 400 different traits, which is a lot for 20,000 because with that 400, we did the math, you can generate like 8 plus billion combinations. Like a lot, or actually more than that. Um, uh, Zaptio knows the number. He's the one that sits there and comes up with the rarities, right? Because I sit and just art direct to make sure everything looks good with the, the whole project and uh, uh, everything looks uh, proper for the generation. But um, it's really, really crazy to see this project uh, start to you know come to a close, and I can't wait for people to really see this, uh, like all the traits being generated. It's really cool, like the the different combinations and how they work with each other. Like this, another reason why it's taking long is some some traits don't look good with some other traits or it doesn't work like, like the specific eyes don't work with the hair and it doesn't look proper because we're still trying to pay homage to all mm-hmm. traditional classic uh anime but um yeah like uh, i hope people see it and they recognize like the the passion we, we put into it what else does uh, artifact have planned we're always planning our own metaverse down the road the first initial one is our collab with uh, with the uh, on cyber. So we're, we're everybody's going to be able to have their own avatar, live in a own like exclusive artifact room. So that's like the first start of it, right? I can't discuss much further details of what what can be done in the room, but it's going to be super super dope. And obviously, we have our collab. We have more collabs coming, and then other projects we announced that we're going to drop. But the Clone X project is like the, the main one that ties in all everything we did together. In previous interviews, I mentioned like that's why I love you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe or anything that ties everything together into a universe. Like even Quentin Tarantino has his own universe, right? Mm-hmm. So if you own any of the old artifacts, like, I, I don't want you to sell it at all. Keep it, hold on to it because it connects. 
So we made it so that clone X connects all of that. Like if you have a Jeff staple pigeon bird, you're going to be able to wear that pigeon on your shoulder. It's going to sit on your shoulders so that you can decorate your avatar Mm. with all the past projects. It all connects. So it makes sense to collect everything we drop because it all goes back to linking to a clone X avatar, everything shoes, your character is going to wear all the shoes you own that you bought from artifact in the past. I think a lot of collectors have been going like by artists. Like if you like an artist, they buy a lot of, you know, NFTs by that artist. But this is more like, like it's, it's tied to a specific scenario or like a you know potential metaverse. And so you have to think about how your fit will look in that environment. And I think that probably affects like that, that structures your collecting behavior and choices uh, very differently. Right. It's, it's, it's not like, so you have like multiple artists, but as you said, even within a single avatar, like not all the attributes look good to next to each other, right? So that's that's a slightly different way of collecting. I think you have to think about how it, it works together rather than, you know, standalone works, even if you have like a gallery and you hang the paintings here and there. It, it's a different, um, I guess, like a different projection of your personality, right? It, it's more personal and, and obviously more uh, embodied because it's something that you will have to actually like wear around with you. <laughs> One thing uh, that we're hoping people would see too, and again, we're, we're fans of Valve software and Steam and all that. Um, mm. Valve heavily you know, supports the modding community. It's the fans that create. We hope one day, and this is why I love blockchain NFTs and all that, the metadata from Clonex, say if there's a specific group of hardcore you know otaku uh, fans or uh, you know a community where they don't approve of the way we model the characters right they'll just pull the metadata and recreate the avatars with the hair and everything properly mm. you know as, as long as they pay respect to like the color code we use and everything right. but, and then they'll release the avatar themselves on vr chat but it can still be connected to the to the ownership of the nft like, I, I feel like Clonex will be the base, but there's going to be so many subcultures of people who mod NFT avatars, right? Like, look at, look at VR chat. Everybody does that in VR chat. They mod, they create, they take, they, they evolve. Like, there's so many different variations of one anime character from an IP. We, we feel like one of the Clonexes is going to have so many different variations. That, and, and, you know, in, in, in anime, too, like... There's different slight styles from different anime where like the artists try to create the eye a little bit or the eyebrows, make it a little bit more edgier or whatever. And we're, we're hoping we see the community modify and evolve our projects. That reminds me of the, the doujinshi culture. Are you familiar with that, Chris? It's, it refers to the, like, the fanzine culture where you have the mother franchise, so whatever it is, like Evangelion, right? And then like the hardcore fans will actually rip it off. And the creators actually like like the more it gets ripped off, the more testament it is to its popularity. So they will like, you know, they'll just use like an old school photocopier and then they'll make like a, a, the next chapter to a, to a series or they'll like, alter, as you said, like they'll alter the characters, they, they tweak them a little bit. Great story. Yep, yep, exactly. That's so what we it's, want. It's a kind yeah. of, it's a kind of like Japanese copy left. It's a kind of like implicit license for the fans to, because the more they do that, the more evident, I mean, the, you know, the further it spreads. And but the uh, more the universe grows though, the yeah, sub stories, exactly. da, 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 it, it gets bigger than that. It's exactly mm-hmm. what we're aiming for. Yeah. Right. You right on the dot. We've seen this firsthand with uh, 
one of the biggest things we did in uh, December 2020 is we created the biggest meme in December, but it's still one of the biggest memes right now in gaming culture called Among Drip. And that's why we created Space Drip with all the, the, the 18 different artists. So Among Drip, we borrowed from Among Us. And what it is, I created a 3D render. And this was all unintentional, but it went super viral amongst Gen Z. And it grew into its own Among Drip culture. We've seen different renditions of it. We've seen furry versions of it, anime versions of it, all kinds of versions. And it just grew into its own thing. And it grew out of our control. Like we technically say we don't own um, the name Among Drip. Among Drip actually was created by a bunch of Gen Z kids in a Discord group too. And it was a Twitter account. Like all we did is we provided the image, right? Here's the image. We provided the 3D models on Sketchfab. And the culture went wild and evolved it. Um, it got so big that big YouTubers, celebrities started adopting into their YouTube channel. It just blew out of proportion and it became its own thing. And that's what we hope Clonex is going to do. It's just going to become its own culture where I even to the point where we don't even care about um, full control because it, it, we want it to almost belong to the community um, like a meme, right? Yeah. So this, you hit it right on the dot. Like that's exactly uh, what we're trying to do with this did you uh take care to make sure that the ux and stuff were you know basically conducive to that customization on the user side uh in terms of yeah, like- and that's why we partnered with das mm-hmm. and taffy they're pros at that but i, I don't want to say anything further because of uh, any leaks or anything but people would love this this is the next step in metaverse and pfp projects mm-hmm. like everything we do is always trying to raise and set the bar so everybody follows through to the new okay. standard. I wanted to close with maybe a, a question that's a little bit of a variation from the traditional one. So we usually ask our guests who their favorite artist is. But since obviously it's Murakami and you know we've geeked out about anime and manga, could you tell us a few of the, the manga, anime, or, or games that you know really were you know, formative in, in your, your either childhood or adulthood, whatever it is, but the ones that really made an impact and maybe even like you can see vestiges of in, in Clone X. Obviously, Akira. Akira, if you want to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> uh, that, that started this whole genre of this like crazy, cool violence uh, in anime. So I appreciate it. And I'm a cyberpunk geek. So Akira going on to Evangelion, Cowboy Bebop, and they inspired me a lot. And then uh, what's the, oh, and a little off. From those three I name, but Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> so I'm very spiritual in a sense. And I feel like Full Metal mm-hmm. Alchemist shows that, you know, like all is one, one is all, da, 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 da. Like I believe in a lot of that stuff. So there's a lot of like under, like a hidden uh, spiritualism inside Clonex. If people dig deep enough, they can mm-hmm. see it. <laughs> that's what I love anime. A lot of, I feel like there's a lot of spiritual stuff in a lot of uh, anime, and that's and we, we we make sure we tie that in somehow, like in inside Clonex. Um, like Full Metal Alchemist, really inspirational for me. Um, very deep. <laughs> so Full Metal Alchemist is where I go on the deeper end of things, and then uh, the other ones I name was more for the aesthetics. Like I love these aesthetics, even though the concepts were cool, right? I right. I, I tell people if like you love Attack on Titan, go go watch Evangelion. I feel like Evangelion was the OG one. Same kind of premise mm-hmm. where it's like a gated city, right? I will definitely watch out for the for Full Metal 
references in this video and, and the spiritual uh, elements when, when it comes out. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for, for coming on. This was a really, really interesting chat. And that was uh, this episode of Floor is Rising. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Boys Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, and just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising.